Well, the fifth Sunday of the month, and on the fifth Sunday, it's become our tradition to take questions that have been submitted and try to respond to those and give some, some biblical answers. And I, I try to say every time we ever have this particular lesson when it comes up that we're not doing this lesson because I have all the answers. Uh, rather, we, we take a look at this because we believe that as far as all the questions that matter in our lives, God has the answers for us in His Word. And I'm just going to share with you what I've learned from His Word. And if when we're done you think I've missed something or misunderstood something or changed something, feel free, let's get together and let's talk about that. And let's help each other understand the Word of God better so that we can serve and glorify God and we can dedicate our lives to Him. Last time we had this, the question was, can we pray to Jesus? And my answer, based on what I studied in Scripture, was that since Jesus is God the Son and is one with the Father and is completely divine, He can be accorded the same kind of worship that our Father can. And because we see in Acts chapter 7 uh, that Stephen prayed to Jesus, and then we look in Revelation chapter 5 and we see that those beasts and elders and those who are praying to the Father were also praying to the Son, I suggested that I believe we can, in fact, verbalize prayers to Jesus the Son. Though, though obviously the main prayers that we offer and the general habit and, uh, is, of course, addressing prayers to the Father, but that it is authorized to address prayers to the Son. Well, following that lesson, we received a follow-up question, and I thought we'd just go ahead and take a look at this as well. Can we pray to the saints? Now, we recognize that some of our friends and neighbors here in the religious communities, that they pray to the saints. Those who are in the Roman Catholic Church teach prayer to saints and to Mary. Eastern Orthodox Church, I believe, teaches that. Some Anglicans also believe that you can pray to the saints. And that's a large number of people that claim to be Christians that are professing this practice as biblical. On the other hand, there's a large number of people claiming to be Christian who say that it's absolutely wrong and that we shouldn't do it. The thing that we need to understand is that it's not about how many people are for it or against it. That, that's not where we're going to find the answer. And it's not even who is for it or against it. That's not where we're going to find our answer. The question is, what does the Scripture say about this practice? That is where we're going to find our answer. And for just a few moments this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at this question and, de and determine what the Scripture says about the practice of praying to Mary or to the saints. Before we do that, would you pray with me, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you because you are awesome and powerful. You are the great God who has created all things. And we love you because you have created this world in a way that we can live in it. And you've created your plan of salvation so that we can have righteousness, so that we can be conformed to the image of your Son. And we pray that you would continue to conform us as you have promised. Father, forgive us for the sins that we've committed and turn us away from those, helping us to overcome each day, progressing in your grace and your knowledge. Father, we pray that you be with us this morning as we strive to answer this question. Help us not to be prejudiced based on uh, misunderstandings or preconceived ideas, but rather help us to just have our hearts and minds open to your word. And Father, we pray as we answer questions like this that you'll give us the strength to be humble. Help us not to uh, ridicule those with whom we disagree or be condescending, but rather simply to try to pass upon your word so that all can come into your family and can be a part of your will and do what you would have us to do so that you might be glorified. Father, we love you and we thank you for giving us your word so that we can answer these questions and know how to better glorify you. Father, we want to pursue every opportunity and, and pathway that we have that can strengthen and help us. And we pray that you help us to have our hearts and minds open to your word just to do what you say. Through your son's name we pray. Amen. The very first thing that we need to do is we need to understand the issue. 
Because what we might be tempted to do is just dismiss the question and say, come on, you know, we're only allowed to worship God. The thing that we need to understand is that everybody who teaches prayer to the saints says the exact same thing. You can only worship God. Prayer to the saints, as our friends and neighbors are taught it and the official position of the churches that teach it, is that prayer to the saints is not worshiping the saints. Prayer to the saints, instead, is seeking intercession. It's rather seeking the intercession of our brothers and sisters who have already gone on to be with the Lord. And there they are with the Lord, and so it just seems right for us to go ahead and and see if they can't intercede for us, just as we'll ask everyone else here to intercede for us. We need to understand that that is the position that is really being taken, the official position in the churches that teach it. For instance, we have this statement, and and I I didn't have room to put all the sources up here. You can get the outline. I've got everything sourced on the outline, the websites, and the books from which all of these quotes came from. Catholics believe, as do our non-Catholic Christian friends, that there is only one mediator between God and man, and that mediator is Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.5. We do believe, however, that there is nothing wrong with having a member of our church pray for us. There are many examples of this in the Bible. Paul asking for prayer, Paul praying for others, and scriptures encouraging us to pray for each other. I can't see what difference it makes if the church member we ask to pray for us is no longer on earth if we honestly believe our God to be the God of the living. Also, this is found in one of the Catholic catechisms, the Baltimore Catechism, the communion of the saints means that the members of the three branches of the church can help one another. We can assist the souls in purgatory by our prayers and good works, while the saints in heaven intercede for us. Let me explain this quote to you for just a moment. According to the Catholic Catechism, there are three branches of the church. The church is all the saved everywhere of all time. And so there are three branches of the church. There's the church suffering. Those are the dead Christians who have gone to be in purgatory. And we're not talking about purgatory today. We might get a follow-up question about that. But the Catholic Church, of course, teaches that there's a place called purgatory where those who still have... Uh, venial sins on them have to be punished until those are expiated, and then they'll get to go to heaven. That's the church suffering. There's the church militant. That's the visible church on the earth. And then there's the church victorious. Those are the dead saints who have now gone to be with God in heaven. And so the, the claim is they're all a part of the church, whether they're here on earth or not. And so we can. the communion of the saints means that whether they're in purgatory or whether they're on earth or whether they're in heaven, we can pray for each other, and therefore those who are in heaven can intercede for us, and we can seek their intercession. In fact, let me give you an example. Most of us have heard of the prayer, the Hail Mary. Listen to what it actually says. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Here's a great example of a prayer that is offered by those who practice this. But if you take a look at it, what are they actually doing? They're asking Mary to intercede. Now, some of us, of course, will say, oh, but they're praising Mary like they might praise God. Actually, they're just quoting passages that are in the Scripture about Mary. This is a combination of what the angel Gabriel said to Mary and what Elizabeth said to Mary. They're just reiterating what they find in Scripture, and then they're asking Mary to intercede on our behalf. I just think it's important for us, if we're going to answer any question that somebody brings up about any particular practice, we need to understand what the practice really is. Instead of just dismissing things, instead of just quickly uh, pushing things aside, we don't want to build up straw men and knock those down and not actually take a look at the real question. We need to ask this, is this okay? Is it okay to seek the intercession of the saints who have already gone on before us? 
I want to begin by sharing with you the arguments that are used to authorize this practice, the arguments that are made that say this is a biblical practice. The very first argument is just essentially what we presented there at the beginning, and that is that we're allowed to seek intercession from each other. That quote that I had up just moments ago about seeking intercession from those who are alive and, and even from those who are dead, the Scripture is filled with passages that demonstrate that we can seek the intercession of other saints. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by His power. Here's an example of Paul interceding for others. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 1, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Here's an example of Paul asking someone to intercede. And then perhaps one of the most famous passages along this line is James chapter 5 and verse 16. In James chapter 5 and verse 16 it says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We are allowed to confess to one another and seek the intercession of one another. And basically, if we can ask one another, what changes when we die? If you can ask me to intercede on your behalf an hour before I die, why can't you ask me to intercede on your behalf an hour after I die? If you can ask me to intercede for you today and I die this week, why can't you just continue to ask me to intercede for you even though I've gone on? Certainly I would be aware of what's going on in the world and so you could still communicate with me even if you can't hear from me yourself. So that's the question. That's the point. If we can intercede for each other then it just is natural that those who have gone on can still intercede for us. And because they're aware of what we're doing and what we're saying, then we can ask them. That's an argument that's made. The second one is from Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. In Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8, the Scripture there says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Here's what's said about this. As Scripture indicates, those in heaven are aware of the prayers of those on earth. This can be seen, for example, in Revelation 5.8, where John depicts the saints in heaven offering our prayers to God under the form of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. But if the saints in heaven are offering our prayers to God, then they must be aware of our prayers. They are aware of our petitions and present them to God by interceding for us. Some might try to argue that in this passage, the prayers being offered were not addressed to the saints in heaven, but directly to God. Yet this argument would only strengthen the fact that those in heaven can hear our prayers, for then the saints would be aware of our prayers even when they are not directed to them. In any event, it is clear from Revelation 5.8 that the saints in heaven do actively intercede for us. We are explicitly told by John that the incense they offer to God are the prayers of the saints. Prayers are not physical things and cannot be physically offered to God. Thus, the saints in heaven are offering our prayers to God mentally. In other words, they're interceding. Revelation 5.8 shows these creatures in heaven, then they're taking our prayers to God. They're interceding for us. If they're doing that there, then we ought to be able to ask them to intercede for us. And even when we're just praying directly to God, they can hear it, and they take those prayers to God. The third argument that's made in favor of this, is the fact that the prayer of the righteous is more effective. James chapter 5 and verse 16 said, the prayer of the righteous avails much. And so, here's what we hear about this. 
It goes without saying that those in heaven, being free of the body and the distractions of this life, have even greater confidence and devotion to God than anyone on earth. Also, God answers in particular the prayers of the righteous. James declares, The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Elijah was a man of like nature with ourselves, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth its fruit. Yet those Christians in heaven are more righteous, since they have been made perfect to stand in God's presence, than anyone on earth, meaning their prayers would be even more efficacious. If we're going to be seeking those who are more righteous to pray on our behalf, then it's just natural. We want to get those who have already left this life, who have given up this flesh, who have, who have left the battle, who are no longer tempted by sin. We're going to want them because they're righteous. Their prayers are going to be much more effective. So naturally, we're going to want them to intercede on our behalf. And the final argument that's made regarding this is that the Psalms demonstrate this past, demonstrate this practice. We're going to take a look at a few Psalms in the next quote. Since they're up here, we're just going to read them from the quote. The Bible directs us to invoke those in heaven and ask them to pray with us. Thus, in Psalms 103, we pray, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, hearkening to the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers that do His will. That's from Psalm 103, verses 20 through 21. And then in Psalm 148, we pray, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Psalm 148, verses 1 and 2. Here, the psalmist is declaring and telling the angels in heaven to pray. And certainly, if we can tell the angels to pray with us, we can have them pray for us. And clearly, if those beings in heaven can pray for us, then the deceased saints who have gone on to be with God, even though they're not angels, can also pray with and pray for us. Here we have a directive to, to call on them to pray along with us. And so, here are our arguments that point out potential biblical authorization. We're allowed to intercede for each other. Revelation 5.8 demonstrates it. We want to get those who are most righteous to be interceding for us. And finally, the Psalms direct it. Gordon, what did you think about that? <laughs> Steve, that, that, that all just... I'd like for us to re-examine the evidence. I'd like for us to take a look at some of these arguments and see if that really is what those passages demonstrate for us. The very first thing that we need to recognize is that while it is extremely important for us to understand what the official position is, we also need to understand what the actual practice is. The official position is very much that when praying to saints, all we're doing is seeking them to intercede on our behalf. And no doubt, as I showed you an example earlier, there are some statements like that where that's what's being asked. Please intercede for us. However, the common actual practice is not seeking intercession. The common actual practice is to pray to those who are deceased as if they are the ones who will bestow the blessings and answer the prayers for us. And it's not hard to find examples of this. And I've got several here just because I wanted to point out to you that it's, it's pretty easy to find examples of this. And as I pointed out a few moments ago, everything that I have quoted here, I have sources for on the outline. You can go check it out yourself. I haven't made any of this up. The very first one I want to share with you is one that might be important to us in this down housing market, and that is St. Joseph, the father of Jesus, <clears throat> patron saint of carpenters and house builders, and therefore 
patron saint of realtors and house sellers. You can actually go online and buy a St. Joseph statue kit that will come complete with a little statue and prayers that you need to pray to St. Joseph so that he will sell your house for you. And the way the, the practice works is that you'll take your little statue and you'll dig up a hole in the ground and you'll bury him in the ground. And that is as if he is now in torment. And because of that, he has incentive to sell your house. And once your house is sold, you dig him back up, you pray a prayer of thanksgiving to them, and then you place that statue in your house in a place of honor. Otherwise, you'll have trouble selling that house when you want to. Here's the prayer. O St. Joseph, you who taught our Lord the carpenter's trade and saw to it that he was always properly housed, hear my earnest plea. I want you to help me now as you helped your foster child Jesus and as you have helped many others in the matter of housing. I wish to sell this property or house quickly, easily, and profitably, and I implore you to grant my wish by bringing me a good buyer, one who is eager, compliant, and honest, and by letting nothing impede the rapid conclusion of the sale. Dear St. Joseph, I know you would do this for me out of the goodness of your heart and in your own good time, but my need is very great now, and so I must make you hurry on my behalf. St. Joseph, I am going to place you in a difficult position with your head in darkness, and you will suffer as our Lord suffered until this house or property is sold. Then, St. Joseph, I swear before the cross and God Almighty that I will redeem you and you will receive my gratitude and a place of honor in my home. Amen. Who's being prayed to here? Is this St. Joseph take my prayer to Jesus or take my prayer to God and have him act on my behalf? No, this is a prayer to Joseph. Joseph is going to do this. And, and even notice in this prayer how far this goes. I'm going to put a statue of you in the ground, and that's going to be you suffering like our Lord suffered. I have some serious problems with that. That's just one example. Take a look at one of the prayers to Mary. Now, we read the Hail Mary, which was asking for her intercession. This one, Virgin Most Holy, Mother of the Word Incarnate, Treasurer of Graces and Refuge of Sinners, I fly to your motherly affection with lively faith. And I beg of you the grace ever to do the will of God. Into your most holy hands I commit the keeping of my heart, asking you for health of soul and body in the certain hope that you, my most loving mother, will hear my prayer. Into the bosom of your tender mercy this day, every day of my life, and at the hour of my death I commend my soul and body. To you I entrust all my hopes and consolations, all my trials and miseries, my life and the end of my life, that all my actions may be ordered and disposed according to your will and that of your divine Son. I'm going to give myself totally to you, Mary, and I want you to make sure that I do God's will. It's going to be by your grace that I do God's will. Not by Jesus' grace, but by Mary's grace. Who's being prayed to there? Is that just seeking intercession? Here's another one. Behold me at thy... Oh, by the way, this, this particular prayer is if you're seeking a job. Some of our college students want to think about this. Some of our young folks are trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. This is the prayer that you would offer. And by the way, I found this one in the back of a missal, which is a book that those who are in the Catholic Church carry with them to Mass. I mean, it's an, it's an official. It's not just somebody made this up. This is given to those who are in the Catholic Church to pray this prayer when they're trying to figure out what to do with their lives. Behold me at thy feet, O virgin most kind, seeking to obtain through thee the most important grace of knowing what I ought to do. I desire nothing but to comply perfectly with the will of thy divine Son at every moment of my life. Mother of good counsel, let me hear thy voice. It will dispel every doubt that troubles my mind. I trust in thee, being confident that, since thou art the mother of my Redeemer, thou wilt also be the mother of my salvation. 
If thou, O Mary, will not send me a ray of the divine sun, what light will enlighten me? Who will direct me if thou refusest? Who are the mother of the uncreated wisdom? Listen then to my humble prayers. Let me not be lost in my uncertainty and instability. Lead me along the straight road that ends in life everlasting. Thou who are my only hope and whose hands are full of the riches of virtue and of life and who dispenses the fruits of honor and holiness. If you don't teach me, who's going to? If you don't reveal it to me, who's going to? You who are my only hope. I understand that the official position is we're just seeking intercession, but that's not what this prayer is doing. That's not what this prayer is doing at all. And think about the statements made in this prayer. Jesus is not our only hope. God is not our only hope. Mary is our only hope. If she doesn't reveal it to us, Jesus won't. That's what the prayer says. Here's a prayer to Matthew, the Apostle. Dear Levi, now known as Matthew, you were first a publican, a tax collector, and then a gatherer of souls for Christ after immediately following his call. Later you wrote wonderful accounts for your Jewish brethren of what Jesus, descendant of David, said and did as teacher and Savior. Make all accountants imitate your example in giving careful and honest accounts. This is a prayer for Mark. David. But, but what's being prayed here? Is this a prayer? Matthew, please go to the Savior and make intercession? No, it's a prayer to Matthew. Matthew, you make this happen. And one more, this is a prayer to Christopher. And I wanted to give you an example of, of praying to a saint who's not even in the Bible, uh, but rather a, apparently a magnificent fellow with some legends around him. In fact, this prayer mentions some of the legends. The story is, is that this saint Christopher... Uh, became one who helped folks get across a raging stream. And one time a child came up to the stream and he carried the child across, but the child was heavier than, than anyone else he'd ever carried and it almost drowned him. But he made it across and found out that it was actually the child Jesus. And the reason he was so heavy is because he was bearing the weight of the world's sins. And so because of this work, Christopher has been canonized. And here's the prayer. Dear Saint, you have inherited a beautiful name, Christ Bearer. As a result of a wonderful legend that while carrying people across a raging stream, you also carried the child Jesus. Teach us to be true Christ bearers to those who do not know him. Protect all drivers who often transport those who bear Christ within them. Amen. Again, is this a prayer for someone to go to God and intercede on their behalf? No, this is a prayer to Christopher himself. Christopher, you do this. You teach us this and you provide this protection for, these, uh, for the cab drivers and bus drivers. So, it's important to understand the official position. And the official position is, oh, we're just seeking intercession. But the actual practice is, no, we're praying to deceased saints, to answer our prayers, to give us blessing, to provide us grace. There's a sincere, I have a severe problem with that. The second thing that I want to point out to you, just in re-examining the evidence, is that the fact is, it's just not found in the Bible. It's just not ever there. Yes, there are some passages that we're going to look at in a moment that through some type of lo a seeming logic and, and human reasoning, we get around to say that this is supposed to happen. But one of the things I'm going to point out to you is that neither in the Old Testament or the New Testament do we ever see anyone seek someone who has died to intercede on their behalf. Interestingly enough, even when Saul called Samuel from the dead, he didn't seek Samuel to intercede on his behalf with God. 
And, of course, that whole story is demonstrated to us as the exception, not the rule. But he didn't think, there, there's never any intercession sought from those who are dead. It never happens in the Old Testament. It never happens in the New Testament. And, and, and there's never any place where we're told to do that. And it's not like there was an opportunity. For instance, look in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, we find the perfect place for God to reveal to us that we need to seek the interceding hand of those who are with the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul wants to address this issue of, of being concerned about those who have died. Christians who have died. And, and these saints were worried if they've died, do they miss out on heaven? If they don't endure to the end, do they miss out on being with God? And here's what Paul said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 beginning at verse 13. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul was trying to explain to them that these saints were going to be with the Lord. They're with the Lord and they'll be with Him forever. What a perfect opportunity to be able to say, hey, listen, not only are they with the Lord, but you can be really comforted because now you can turn to them to intercede for you. And he didn't. And let me also point out, and this is subtle, but had the saints at the time of the New Testament believed that the deceased saints were able to intercede with God because they were there with God, they wouldn't have had this word. You see that? If these people to whom Paul had written this letter believed that the deceased saints were able to intercede for them because they were with God, they wouldn't have been worried about this. The fact that Paul had to address this demonstrates that at the New Testament time, they had no concept of this. They weren't even sure if the deceased saints were even with the Lord at this time. But here would have been a great time for Paul to explain it, and yet it's just missing. The fact is, it's just not found there. Now let's reconsider some of the arguments that were made. The very first argument said that if we can ask one another to intercede, if we can ask other members of the church to pray on our behalf, why does it matter if they're on earth or not? Why not, why not ask the members of Christ's church who have already deceased to intercede on our behalf. I think there's a really big reason. Does something change at death? Yes, it absolutely does change at death. And what the Scripture teaches is that the dead no longer share in this world. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 4. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning at verse 4, the Scripture says, But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. You see that? The dead have no more share in all that is done under the sun. They don't have a share in what we're doing. And for all that it might be comforting to us to think that our, that our dead parents or aunts and uncles or grandparents are around the throne of God and, and we can ask them to take our prayers and that it will be better because they're more righteous, 
what it says is they have no more part in what goes on down here. But do they know what goes on down here? Maybe they do. But they have no share. There is nothing that they do that influences anything done down here. That's what Solomon was saying. They don't, they don't influence anything down here anymore. What does that mean? That means there's a big difference between the saints that are around us that can intercede for us and the saints who have died. There's a big difference. We can't just kind of lump everybody together. The second argument was Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. I'd like for us to reevaluate that. Look again at that passage. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the land, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Well, a couple things about this passage. Number one, despite what the quote said, we do need to recognize to whom were these prayers addressed. They were not addressed to deceased saints. They were addressed to God. These are the prayers of the saints to God. Number two, we don't see any deceased saints in this verse anyway. We see living creatures and 24 elders that do not represent deceased saints. They are merely a part of this apocalyptic picture of the throne of God. And so we don't even see deceased saints taking our prayers and offering them up before God. But even if we did see all that, and even if we allowed the argument that, that those who have deceased are aware of our prayers and they're taking them there, we still come back to these are the prayers offered to God. What God has everyone else in heaven do with our prayers, that's his business. But the point that we see from this is that we still need to be praying to God. We're not seeking the intercession of the dead. The dead have no more part in this world. And this passage doesn't claim that they do. This passage doesn't show us deceased saints having anything to do with our prayers. The third argument, based on James chapter 5 and verse 16, says, well, the righteous have a particular place in God's plan, and therefore the righteous, the prayers of the righteous, are particularly answered, and so we want to get those who are most righteous praying for us. Well, there's a problem with that, and that misunderstands the point of intercession. James chapter 5 and verse 16, when it says the prayer of the righteous is effective, is not saying you need to get the most righteous person you can find to be praying for you, otherwise it's not going to be answered. That's not the point at all. When you take a look in the context of James chapter 5, his point is not see if you can find the most righteous people. His point is that when we, who have been made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in Him, Philippians chapter 3, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul said he wants to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This idea of I've got to find the person who's most righteous, and those people whose bodies have already been removed and they're now in heaven are more righteous than us, denies what the Scripture teaches about righteousness and therefore misunderstands intercession. The fact is, if any of us are righteous, it's not going to be because I am more righteous than you. It's going to be because of the faith I have in Jesus and He has cleansed me of my unrighteousness. There's no levels of righteousness. I know we're all growing and we're all struggling, but if we're in Christ, we're righteous. we got the same righteousness. None of us have more righteousness. And the point of intercession is not that we're trying to find people who are more righteous than us to pray for us. The point of intercession is that we need to learn to be humble and pray for one another. 
We need to learn to be concerned about each other and what everyone else is going through. And that prayer is not just a gimme, gimme, look at me. Prayer is about us praying for God's will to be done in our lives and the lives of others. You see, when I misunderstand intercession and think that it means I'm supposed to find the most righteous, I might start thinking that I need to get these other folks who are more righteous to pray for me. But that's not what intercession is about at all. Intercession is about our humility and learning to pray for one another. And what Jesus says, or excuse me, what James said, was that we who are righteous, and we're righteous because of the blood of Jesus, our prayers are effective. Sadly, this position takes that passage and tells you your prayers are ineffective. And that's, that's not what James was saying at all. James was saying your prayers are effective. And so you all need to pray for one another. Completely misses the point. And finally, let's take a look at those psalms and, and reevaluate those psalms. No doubt, some of the psalmists wrote statements that said to the angels in heaven, praise God. In fact, let's look again at Psalm 148. Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. First of all, the thing that we need to note is that even in that quote earlier, it said, see, we, command, we tell the angels to pray with us. That means we can get them to pray for us. Those are two different things. Praying with and praying for are two different things. Don and I might pray together and be praying with each other and not ever pray for one another. We might be praying with each other, praying for Ron. Or praying for the church in general. Praying with and praying for are two different things. Secondly, this is talking about angels. And I don't care what you do or how you cut it or how you slice it. You can't go from angels to deceased saints because they're just not the same. And even if we do have angels praying for us, we don't have deceased saints praying for us. But the third thing that I really want you to notice is that making this argument actually takes this verse, yanks it right out of its context, and misses the whole point here. Because I want you to look at the next verse. Look at verse 3. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. If verses 1 and 2 tells us that we can have the angels, we can pray to the deceased saints, because we have the angels praise God, then this says that we can pray to the sun and the moon and the stars also. Anybody have a problem with that? We know what the Bible says about that, don't we? But the thing you need to understand is that this statement, as the psalmist is writing and he makes this claim, he's not saying that here I am on earth and I get to command the angels. And, and every place you find in the Psalms when this statement is made about the angels praising God, it's not the idea that we on earth get to command them or even ask them to pray for us. It's the statement of how praiseworthy God is. God is so praiseworthy that every being and everything He has ever created should give Him praise. And in this particular psalm, it's definitely using figures of speech because we know that sun, moon, and stars can't praise Him. But we see the hyperbole and we see the figure of speech that's being used here. So again, this passage does not say to us that we can direct those who are in heaven to pray with us, and it certainly doesn't say that we can direct those who are in heaven to pray for us. The fact is, to me, the thing that it all comes down to is what we said very early on. Ecclesiastes 9, verses 4 through 6 says, those who have died have no share in what goes on down here. They have no influence. There's not anything that they're doing about what's going on down here. And so, we can ask one another to intercede for us, and we should ask one another to intercede for us. But it's not because we're trying to find someone who's more righteous and so God will listen to them better. It's because we just need to learn to pray for one another and love one another and be concerned about one another. 
But those who are gone on are no longer part of this life. And what concerns there were down here, they're not influencing those. So, can we pray to the saints? My answer to that is no. No. We pray to God. God is our hope. God is the one who blesses us. Do we seek the intercession of the deceased saints? No. They have no longer a share in what goes on down here. We seek one another's intercession, but it's still all of us praying to God. If you think I misunderstood something, if you think I left something out, feel free to share that with me. Let's talk about that sometime. I personally want to pursue every path I can that's going to help me be what God wants me to be, but I just can't find this as being a biblically authorized avenue for us. If you have any questions that you'd like to have dealt with during this fifth Sunday question and answer, feel free to pass those on to me. You can put it in the little box that's outside my office, or you can email it to me, or you can hand it directly to me, whichever one you want to do. I do want to make one final statement here, and that is, on Wednesday night, we are going to be getting together and praying to God. We are going to be interceding for one another. That's something that we can do and something that we need to do and should do. If you have something that you would like added to the special prayer request that we're going to be lifting up to God on Wednesday, please make sure to get that to me. Please don't assume that because it's on the slides I'm going to get it. Please don't assume that because it's in the bulletin I'm going to get it. Make sure that if you want that on the list that you let me know that you want it there so that we can pray for that. And we'll be interceding for one another and praying to God.